and Brent has left the building. No, I am looking at my bookshelf, and unfortunately, I think that one is at home. Yeah, anyway, Jim. So, Alan. We're, we're awful. We <laughs> yeah. are so bad. Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Howdy. Uh, guess who? It's um, us. It's us. Yeah, I'm I'm Ted Cruz, and I'm here to ask asinine dumb questions all day, because that's what I'm good at. No, I'm Alan. I'm Alan. I actually try and ask interesting questions that people care about, but whatever. You know, you do you. <laughs> How are you doing, Brent? It takes all kinds. I am surviving. What does that mean, man? Oh... We are reorging. What is that? Is this a big reorg? You don't have to go into details because it's Microsoft and it might affect the stock price. It's like like the moon's gravity affecting the tides. No. So are you in the Windows org now? No. um, Just checking. So the, the there's a couple of things that I would talk about if it weren't for the fact that you can't that we have actually three listeners yeah, the definitely would be either a C. It would be a CLM or an NDA violation to talk about it too deeply. Of course, um, but I will, and most likely a CLM. Um, for those not up to speed on the acronym, a career limiting move. Don't think it would be outside of NDA though. But one of the issues that's happening, having right now is uh, reorg was fundamentally based off of something that was overbranded and to a degree where, at least in my view, it's near vaporware. However, it's been branded so successfully that uh, senior executives have asked for it, want it, and they've executed a reorg where essentially 25% of my management team or my manager's team is moving out. And as a result, uh, the rest of us here have to figure out how to continue to operate the business down 25%. As- so that's the different kind of reorg where your org is, some of your org has disappeared. Some but, of the but, org your, is, but your charter has not. Right. Nor expectations. Oh, and of course, there are no recs or headcount coming. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. So yeah. I, I, I hear that too. I think I can safely say it's not um, probably not uncommon to hear statements like, okay, you need to also do A, B, and C, and also we need to reduce your headcount spend. You just go, great. Well, this is a fun game. We'll figure out how to play this. Yeah. It, it, I've had a manager, Brent, you, you need to let go of the tyranny of or. Some, some, someone, someone watched too many Ted talks. Yeah. I was just like, uh, okay. When you're ready to get off of whatever cloud of bullshit you're on and, and actually get down to to working with me to help solve this actual problem let me know <laughs> right otherwise i'm just gonna i'm gonna go have a, a meet with my team and struggle through it 
Yeah, fun, 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 fun stuff. How about you? Anything new? Ah, uh, you know the the work stuff. I'm on the other end. I'm trying to figure out how to not trying to figure out. It's a long it's a long path, a little bit of whack a mole. When you have a large org, when it's been brought together from multiple orgs, it's a constant exercise in creating alignment and clarity across the org, so everybody stays kind of going in the same direction. But it's fun. It's uh, you know, it, it's largely there. It's just pop up here, address that, pop up there, address that. We're playing a fun game of what's the game called where the goalposts keep moving? Is that just is there is there a, is there a metaphor there? I don't know what it is. The fun game where the, the goalposts fun goal game fun. Yeah, fun. I'm not I'm not I'm not familiar. Okay, with I gotta that think one. of a name for that. Like, uh, oh, it's like you ever played Flux, the card game? Yes, where the rules change as you play. That that. Uh, yeah. So there you so go. I want to write a version of that for managing a large software org where the rules around budget keep on changing. And the goal is to hit your budget, even though you don't know what it is until you've actually hit it because the rules keep changing. I think I could say that. Isn't that Kanban? <laughs> I don't know if you're joking or if that's your segue. Uh, it's actually, I am not joking and it is handy as a segue. So how is Kanban the same? So Kanban, right, it enables it enables flow. It enables you to have the ability to start work based off of the best available knowledge and do so in, in a in a batch model. Like Kanban optim in terms of dealing with um Dealing with the goalpost changes, changing, right? Kanban's the perfect uh, software model for that. All right. Well, let's let's. Right, big yeah. waterfalls the worst, right? Yeah, yeah. There's more complexity to it, but I better I better uh, cover myself as well. But it's a fun game. The things we do as leaders. I think someday I'll talk about my model for creating clarity and alignment. But uh, maybe we'll do it today. Maybe not. I, let's talk about. Kanban. What is Kanban? No, that's not it. So somebody in one of the three dot slack.com our Slack group, which you can get a free invitation to by going to moderntesting.org. Uh, we don't charge for it. You can just come join in, hang out, ask questions. Uh, people are very helpful there. Someone, I think Percy, I could be wrong, pointed out this website called kanbanboardgame.com. This is actually based on a simulation that I've done before many years ago where you play a game where you are assigning people to do tasks on a Kanban board over many, many weeks in order to try and generate the most revenue for your company and little, little things come up as you play. So Brent and I have both played this. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about how we approached the game, but it might be fun before we go into it. I don't know if, Brent, if you want to do a round right here, alive in 10 minutes, or if we should just talk about our strategy. Uh, but we played uh, just the simulation on KanbanBoardGame.com. Go ahead and bring it up. We'll wait. Pause your podcast. And Brent doesn't know how much money he made. I didn't make the leaderboard. I did all right. I made $40,000. $40,000 fake dollars. I don't get any money in our account for this, but it was fun. So all that intro aside, what do you want to do, Brent? Uh, why don't we do both? Why don't we start it up and 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 
act like we are an executive committee firmly command and controlling the Kanban board. All right. I don't know if I like that or not, but uh, let's let's get yeah. into it. So I'm going to there's a little announcement on the simulation. What did I do wrong? I said start a new game. You got to click one of those. I got to click standard game, standard game. All right, blah, 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 a lot of directions. Who who reads the directions? Come on. So what we have here, just if you're playing along, we're on day nine of a project. There's a bunch of stuff in progress. The board is full. Uh, we have three testers, two developers, two product managers, and we are trying to get stuff out in order to make money. We haven't made any money yet, have we, Brent? Nope, none, All zero. All right. How should we make money? I'll talk about what we're doing here. Right now, we have uh, everybody has the same board to start off with. We have three stories in test, uh, two in that are ready for test, but we can't get into the board because we've reached WIP. Dev is at WIP as far as work getting done. Kind of everybody's at WIP. Everybody's at WIP. Everybody's at limit, so we, we're, we're, our pipeline is full of stuff. And the name of the game in Kanban is Flow. So what do we do first, Brent? Well, so in... For everyone in the game um, not playing along, Alan and I are doing an experiment. Uh, obviously, this is not a video cast, but so in this particular game, right, we have to get things to done, right? So the so the first thing I'm going to call out, the thing I adore about Kanban, and and I think it was, I think I picked this up from Alan through. Who was the guy that did personal Kanban? I know you got the memory for oh, this. Oh God, um, I do. I do. It's on my bookshelf. My headphones. Jim, that Jim, 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 Jim is right. Jim, and Brant has left the building. No, I am looking at my bookshelf, and unfortunately, I think that one is at home. Yeah. Anyway, Jim. So Alan, we're, we're awful. We yeah. are so bad. Uh, you know, I can go to Amazon. Personal. Because I remember the book. Personal Kanban. Jim Benson. Benson. Thank you for uh this is why we only have three listeners. <laughs> it's because it's a key reason. Suck. It's a key, key reason. Now let's see if I can remember why I brought that up in the first place. Oh, I oh. doubt it. Yeah. So Kanban, I believe I'm attributing this to him. It's either him or Al. Okay, the, the main difference between Kanban and Scrum is that in Kanban, it's all about what you finish. Finishing is what's important, not starting. Right? So Kanban, you pull. So regardless of what you're using for project management, I tell my team all the time, focus on finishing, not on doing. Get stuff done. The, the neat thing about Kanban is if you focus on finish, and then you operate pull, right? As you have capacity, when you finish, you pull the next capacity and you, you pull and pull. So it's like a vacuum that continuously flows. All right. So right now we actually have bottlenecks in every column. We look at this and we see that we're at WIP in, in test dev and analysis. I'm, I'm going to just call that PM mm -hmm. from here on out. Yeah, we'll call it PM. Where we are, we have a bottleneck in every column, uh, but it's absolutely clear that we need to bottleneck or de bottleneck uh, test. Right, because nothing else can yeah, nothing else can move forward until that test column is complete. Right now, 
I see that you have allocated two heads. I'm just moving stuff around while you talk. Oh, okay. There's so, a couple things you can do there. You could, I could, I could add people who aren't testers. So let's call them to add it. It's a, if you're not looking at the game, it's a little, uh, the game is that if the person's doing the task they're assigned to do, they're going to be twice as, or their specialty, they're going to be twice as productive, but it is a random number of boxes of work of necessary boxes they get done. So doubling up or adding more folks to it, if you really need to get the column clear, isn't a horrible idea. Yeah, uh, but we don't need to get the column clear. We only need to create capacity. And so my decision when I'm doing, when I was playing this, is I was uh, focusing on where is the ROI? Okay, so uh, Alan, we have three tickets. Alan has currently added how do we play along this so when i am looking at this one no no that's absolutely <laughs> wrong absolutely wrong. keep talking brent keep yeah. talking no don't look at what i'm doing yeah that, that might make for a better podcast of course so number one we got to finish you can't move them into the ready yeah, yeah i know i know i'm just i'm just trying to distract you it's working very very well Okay, so in the test column, we're going to just put, I agree with you, just put one tester on each of them. The only thing I would think of is maybe put two. So I don't know if putting two on what's known as the S2 ticket is going to get that done sooner. Like, I I don't really care. So that what you have there is fine by me. In terms of the developer stories, so the green ticket, what's the benefit of the green tickets? Oh, those are. Um, I think it's a. I it's an, it's that, an intangible. It's an intangible, but I think those speed us up. I think so, too. They give us some bonus. I forget how it works because I didn't read that. I didn't read the instructions. OK, so let I oh, those tickets are done. I would put the developer instead of on the 120 ticket, because that takes too much time, I would put it on the intangible. All right. And then we have a PM left. Sure. All right. You ready? Yeah. This is We're, we're not going to do this for every round. People would be bored and quit. So we have, we have assigned some people to some tasks. And we got some work done. We got two items to complete. Maybe we get three. We got two items to complete. And stuff moves around on the board magically. And... And uh, we move stuff over. So we've completed the first day. They throw in some cool stuff on stuff has to be done by a certain day. Or if it's done by a certain day, or if you choose to do it, you can get some extra stuff. Like right now we have one on our backlog. It's has to get done by day 25. We don't need to start it yet. It has to get done in five days. Oh, I forgot we started on day 10. No, this one doesn't. It's day 10. The, the one in ready is due on day 15. Oh, I didn't see that one. Well, we should pull that one in. It's doing three we days till we till we do the game. Let's pull that one over. Okay, we're not going to do the whole thing here. We're going to pull some stuff around on the board. It's a fun little game of Kanban. We'll get that one up there. Blah blah blah. What do you think here? Would you double up on the big task, or just let that guy work on it on his own? I would let him work it on his own, but I'm not certain. Is that one we've already started? When you say that one, S. S5. All right. We have not started testing it. We, j we just pulled it over. 
All right. I would put it back to the dev backlog and I would take I1 instead. So I'm doing the architectural improvement. Gotcha. Because that's going to speed us up. And no, that's what we're going to do. Fair enough. So anyway, there, it's the goal is to get stuff through and we're doing it very quickly here. And I realize that it's kind of boring, but I encourage you to try the game and go through it. It is not just Kanban, but a little bit of systems thinking. You have to look at what's on the whole board and optimize for optimize for getting stuff done. I think it's I found it to be very well done on teaching the concepts. Like for me, the thing that's a little awkward is the additional thing of right uh, in my organization. I don't have PM dev tests. Right, right. They're, they're going off a of specialist, which is, it's, it's fine. Um, so having gone through the live version of this before, it's interesting. Like both you and I, we recognize right away that all the columns are full and nothing's going to move till test is full, till test is done. Right. So uh, a lot of people didn't, new to Kanban, did not recognize that right away. They didn't realize the importance of, getting stuff done. So my advice, if you're going through this game is focus, not on working, not on doing focus on finishing and you will do quite well. Well, yeah. And in, in, in real life, in real life, uh, the, the, so I, back in the day, I walked people through conversion to Kanban, right. And once they get things moving, Right. And they, they then start to argue on the whip. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's it, a point in this game, if I recall, when whip goes away and you can screw with it. I never did. No. Yeah. No, no, no. They do. Well, there's a couple of things that's great about the game. Like suddenly all your test team dies or, you know, gets that sick. That was exactly it. But yeah, whatever. They suddenly all get sick. You're like, well, wait a minute. Test is my bottleneck. And all of my test team are sick and out of office. What do I do? What do I do? Well, of course, everyone that's a listener of this podcast knows what to do. It's, well, put somebody else on it. Yeah. And that's what, what I love to see in the end. And I didn't look at the other version of this game. Actually, it works the same. I know how it works. Uh, I would love to see a version of this where... Maybe it wouldn't be as fun with the little gotchas that come up, but something, a version that was considered generalizing specialists and maybe it's not worth, maybe it's not worth the effort. I think there's enough learning in here. And especially I would recommend if you're getting used to Kanban and you want to get some value out of it is play the game a couple times, try experiments because it doesn't hurt anything if you make a bad choice and you, and you, and you get a poor score and the score means nothing, but it means that you're getting ideas on how to optimize flow given a bunch of different information. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, I think the game very well simulates the majority of my experience ever since shifting to, to Kanban, right? I don't get actual paid money. Uh, I don't actually have a PM and test team generally, but everything else uh, is is straight up like my my currency, but you can you can change your currency to other things. 
I'm a data scientist. I produce a lot of things that use and consume data. If I build a report, you bet I'm instrumenting it so I can see who cares. Who's like the point of data science that I think I've shared on this before, but the the data science's job is essentially to automate decision-making. If no one's using the decisions it can make, what's the point of it? Not at all. None. Zero is, of course, the answer. So I want to pay attention to to that because I'm like, oh, well, I can un I can deinvest in that one and go go uh, you know pick up one of these other things that I've been deferring because the PMs had told me this was important. Well, now I know the truth. It's not. The short story is go check out Kanban board game. Worth giving a shot. It's fun to talk about, and it's a good. I think we both agree it's a good simulation. It sort of matches the real world. Uh, remember the days when we actually had a little outline and. And stuff we'd like put on the whiteboard, and we'd use that to just and 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 to have a more structured discussion instead of just completely winging it. Remember those days? Yes, I do. Those were weird. I do. I have a question for you from our our Slack channel, mm. and I'm curious because I talked about this many years ago. Well, even before we started talking about modern testing, I think I first read this in McConnell's book, and he re- referenced it from somewhere else. But it was the and this is actually from. What's his face? I think this may even be from Capers Jones, but I could be wrong. The concept that gets repeated a lot, which is the earlier you catch a bug, the cheaper it will be to fix. I have a reaction on that. I'm curious what yours is. The earlier you catch, the earlier a, catch a bug, the cheaper it will be to fix. I generally agree with that. I think it's a myth. Uh, I don't. So I think the reason I think it's a myth is two reasons. I think it depends on the bug. Some bugs are very easy to fix at any time in the, whenever you find them. Right. I I, I understand the premise of it. The idea is that there's takes time to get re-familiar with the code, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I would argue that for huge classes of bugs, they're just as easy to fix at any time, whether it's, the day I introduced it or five years after someone else introduced it. When I see it referred to, it's an absolute, but it's, it's a half truth. It's a myth. No, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. Tell me why. So I'm going to go the other way, right? When, when I first started, since we talked about Kanban and when I first started doing Kanban and, and deploying the production systems using it. One of the things that I realized is by continuously flow, right? And I've, I've talked about it on the podcast a couple of times. There are times where my team would deploy something and everything would be down. It would be down. However, because we caught it quick, we knew exactly what we needed to revert. And, and because we were going in small batches, we knew exactly where to look. And because we had just checked in yesterday, we didn't have to spend time reverse engineering no, the code. And, and that is the huge advantage of small changes. It's, it's the hugest advantage of small changes. It's, it's a huge advantage of catching things quickly as well with those small changes. So there are there are other aspects. For example, there are there are pieces in my team today 
uh, well, not today, yesterday, we had what we called a swarm ticket. And it's a rare event, something where we have, we had as of yesterday, technical debt and monitoring. Something went really bad that we were able to detect it yesterday, but it's in a code that no one knows. And so someone has to go down now because the person who wrote the code left the team. Yep. So someone now has to go down and find the, the bug okay. and fix it. There's there's two things in play there. And again, it's not an absolute. I, I do not. All bugs are not created equal. And in the case where you have a systemic issue that the owner isn't there in complex code, of course, it's more expensive to fix later when you don't have the person with the expertise to know it was in their head when they wrote it there. I absolutely believe it. And I well, I'll actually refer to 11 years ago, 11 years ago. 11 years ago, I wrote a paper and gave a presentation at PNSQC on called an introduction to customer focused test design. That sounds so non-modern test. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, gave a pa paper, introduction to customer focused test design, talking about how we can focus test design on customer scenarios versus a bunch of damn functional testing. Because even at the time I was writing, developers should do that functional testing when they're writing their code. But the idea is that the cost of change for a design or an architecture issue or something that is fundamentally broken does go up over time because you that, that knowledge of what you need to fix it can escape very quickly. You have to get the whole system back into your head in order to fix it. But right. for a functional bug where you just wrote maybe a bad unit test or didn't write a unit test for one thing, the cost of change curve for those is basically flat. It may go up a little bit, but it's not that traditional curve. The cost of finding the bug or the cost of fixing the bug, like the, the actual amount of code to change depends on number one, the loading slash the learning cost, right? And the actual the cost of the implementation. Like if you had if you had an architectural error, in some regards, the when people so the first time I heard this, like the, the cost of a bug increases as it goes down, right? It was the old waterfall days, right? And but they inappropriately associated it with a timeline, right? If you're doing big design up front and you have this this quote-unquote beautiful architecture and it's going to take you nine months to even do the first test. And in that first test, you find that there's a bug, right? It, it doesn't have to... Yeah, that cost of the bug is expensive because it's not because of time. It's because you, you took... You waited nine months to do your first test. You didn't fail fast. Let me. It's a problem with big design up front, not to your point. Uh, that part I agree. Which Kent Beck book was it? I think it was an extreme programming book. He he also argued, and I think I didn't find this till afterwards. It came out before my presentation. Yeah, because um, XP has been around since two thousand two or so. I remember in the XP book when I finally read it, he also wrote a fairly flat cost of change curve just due to iteration and feedback loops. But I guess it depends on what we call cost, right? 
the cost of actually changing the code is, is going to be the same no matter what. It's the additional costs, right? How, how much does it cost to ramp up? Again, uh, I, I, I think we're largely in agreement, maybe not on semantics, because, yes, the co- if the cost is the same, yeah, then the, then the cost of cost of change curve is flat. Right. So it's how much it, it's, it's two things go into additional cost. One is any additional time needed for the developer to regain context or to or to uh, add new work around it as needed. If there's if there's dependencies, for example, there's cost in there that could grow. But really, it's the cost of also impact on the customer. And it used to be in the old days, there was a cost incurred needing to patch the customer and get them to download a new bit and, and sending the bits out sometimes by mail, if you go back to the early 90s. Right. But the, we, the, we just update stuff all with tight feedback loops. We update stuff all the time. The cost is going to be dependent on how good your design is in the first place and how well the the bug is strung through to to dependencies, right? If if I have an interface bug and I and I go, oh crap, I'm going to have to change my interface, and I have fifty thousand different other systems depending on it on the interface contract. Yeah, that bug's going to be expensive, right? But it, it's it's because the design was bad up front. And I did something wrong early on. It has nothing to do with how long it took. I'm winning. I'm I'm basically moving over to the only the only place. I'm more on your side than I was on my side in the beginning of this, I uh, Alan. I the, the 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 only additional cost of delay is okay. Do you have to redo things like you know, like the person has left the team, so now you need to have somebody start up again right it's the it's the knowledge cost i'll call it cool cool man i hey i saw on twitter i got mentioned in a tweet because uh specflow which is specflow still around is that is that no. still the maybe someone bought it it's still around but anyway specflow from specflow.org they tweeted the book of the week is how we test software at microsoft and they tagged me and they tagged bj who hasn't been on Twitter in like 10 years. Oh my God. Uh, I'm not even sure. I did hear from BJ a couple of years ago. I think he's alive and I still remember, I don't have it on my bookshelf, but uh, oh, I should go grab it. There's ho- hold on. I got to read you my favorite line from how we test software at Microsoft. Yeah. Why did they tweet that? All right. Well, I pull it up. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you this. So uh, it was Ken Johnston that came to me and said, Hey, you're doing a lot of stuff, collecting information. You should write a book on how we test software at Microsoft. And I said, and Ken was my boss when I was in engineering excellence. And I said, okay, I can do that. I, I think I have an idea what's in my head because I had a pretty good, I had talked to a lot of teams, I had a good idea in my head. And I said, Ken, can I take, well, I do this as part of my job? He said, yeah, we'll give you time to do it. So when you fill out a form for MS Press to propose a book, what you do is say, do you want to get, are you going to work on this on your own time and get paid for it or on company time and not get any commissions? And I said, well, my boss is giving me time. It's my job. I'm just going to write the book. And then Ken w- went and got a new job. And my new boss said, screw that. I don't need to do it on your own time. So absolutely zero 
Zero proceeds uh, from how we test software at Microsoft went to BJ and Ken and I. Uh, and of course, the book is dated and, and MS Press were fair to work with. But anyway, it, it was an experience. I think it's chapter six I have to read. Oh, my God. I'm rereading. I, I found the, the tweet. There's no replies on it. No, I, I liked it. No, I now I can't find it. Yeah, the book shares best practices, tools, and systems used by the company's testers. Used is, is very appropriate here. So it talks about the systems that were used back when we had testers. You know, when I go through this book, it's not quite as horrible as I sometimes give it non-credit for. I think it definitely no, I, comes out like it definitely comes out as written by three different people. Like I wrote, I like to say I wrote, I counted the pages once, but I wrote, I wrote most of it. BJ wrote two chapters and Ken wrote two chapters. BJ's chapters are all around like textbook functional testing and which we taught at the time to our testers. But in hindsight, I don't know if I would have done that if I could go back in time. No, the, so I, I, I had the te- uh, the the test uh, the book as well. Matter of fact, I had to find that because I have a section someplace where I keep all of my signed books, and and your book is in there. All right. Um, well, I can't find the story, but it's, it's, it's but somewhere I do in BJ's think- writing is I just I'll share this before I forget is he has this like run on compound sentence full of long words and and it's really like what and the next sentence is while that seems very simple blah 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 and i i made fun of him i said how did this get by editing how did this get by our peer reviews i don't know what happened uh but that's yeah i so anyway i'm not sure I'm not sure who manages the SpecFlow account. I feel like it's an automated tweet set up like 10 years ago to 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 talk about the book. I do think it's an ex- excellent historical book. It is. It's a snapshot. And if you have the book, check out that picture of me on the back cover. It is not the not the picture you see today with the Alan who's growing a beard instead of sourdough for um for uh, his Instead of a lot of people, the way I do it, a lot of people for the pandemic and being stuck at home, they 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 made sourdough bread. I so did I grew a beard. Yeah, do you have the ponytail yet? I could if I wanted. So you're actually still cutting your hair? No, my hair's no. I mean, my hair's long enough. I could put it in a ponytail. I don't usually do it unless I need to keep my hair out of my face. Okay. So um, I'm going now that my hair and beard are so long, I'm actually going to travel again for work. I'm going to uh, Montreal in May for a little teeny offsite with our leadership team. Yeah. So and I'm actually, you know, I'm not quite ready for this. I'm getting used to seeing the world, to seeing people. I went into the office, which on the last podcast, I went into the office for a while. Uh, I need to go to Copenhagen sometime, too. So I got to figure that out. Oh, you're going to fly? I'm flying to Canada also. Going to Montreal. Too far to drive. Oh, yeah. I'm not quite ready for that. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I hope that I, I, I'm not quite ready either, but 
at some point, we're just going to have to roll the dice and get out there. I actually talked to someone last week who uh, said, so have you not had COVID yet? Like it was a thing like <laughs> that was weird for me not to be in the in club COVID. I have not been. Yeah, actually. So I my daughter turned 12 and we waited on her until until she turned 12. So so she's now completed on, on March 11th. She actually completed her second dose. Oh, cool. And um, her reaction to it was very much like mine. It's like eh, arm hurts because I got a shot and kind of tired. Right. It took my wife out. I may have, my daughter may have, and it's a good chance that, that I, well, I don't know. Who knows? And uh, honestly, I'll just say like, except for like my fear of flying that I have to, I have to think about now because on the COVID side, I, I'm just done with COVID. I'm done with it. I'm like, great. If it, if COVID wants to take me out, then take me out because I'm going back to living life. <laughs> that's that's kind of my perspective. So, what is it then that you don't want to fly for? Uh, it, so, I it, it occurs to me that I have now a two year inset fear of flying due to be trapped because of the COVID. It's now subconscious because I don't want to be trapped in a freaking box. With surrounded by COVID infested human beings. Yet at the same time, you say <laughs> right. you don't care. You just want to live your life. So you need yeah, to, no. you have some cognitive dissonance you need to resolve. Right. My, the absolutely subconscious and conscious are not talking to each other. Completely agree. I'm sure this has happened to you. I don't know how many people are going to work, but on a lot of my big team meetings that I see, there will be people together in a meeting room on the call. And it's weird to look at. I'm used to the total Brady Bunch. Every little box in Zoom gets one face and one face only. And when that's changed, it it's it's like, what? I have had this week alone. It is now Friday. I have had three separate meetings in an actual conference room with other people in the conference room with me. What's it like talking to someone in the 3D world? It's wacky, right? Actually, and, and you can see there, like you, you can see on my whiteboard, a bunch of scribbles. That was actually a meeting I had in my office earlier today. We were going through an architecture dis discussion. Ah, company secrets right there on your screen. Right. And, and then, uh, yeah, I should probably do something about that. It's not like you could read any of it, though. Maybe AKS and pickles. Yep. Yep. That's, <laughs> that, that's what I wrote down for my notebook. So it's weird. I, I actually I've been thinking about this and I think there is a weirdness. Like some of us do want to get back and get used to being around people. And there's there's value in that, as you just described. But it's awkward. It's for me, at least it is. It's awkward seeing people and talking to people in person. It's weird. I'm not, I, it's, I want to be ready for it, but I'm not ready for it. Well, so there's, there is, there is an aspect of that. I am not ready for, like, I have spent two years 
essentially being the only one in my building. But essentially, it's not entirely true. There's been there's been about 10 cars here, but essentially my building has been a ghost town. And I'm like, oh, what happens if in a couple of months we go back to the days where someone's knocking on my door like every five minutes? I'm like, oh my God, that's gonna drive me. Because I've I've gotten accustomed to uh peace quiet someone tries to call me on zoom and i don't want to talk to them oh yeah i'm not in my office am i <laughs> right it's certain things like that yeah there's going to be there's going to be a culture shift back for sure and it's all good yeah and i think i don't know how it is with you like i am not requiring anyone on my team to go back to work it's their choice but I'm, I am not I'm, either. I'm beginning to feel like though, and here's where, you know, a worthy of a quick conversation. I'm beginning to feel like, uh, there's people that think they don't want to go back to work who maybe should go back a day or two once in a while. Just try to figure out how to describe this, uh, this, this feeling. Like when I went to the office, I got a lot of work done. I saw some people. It was, it was good for my productivity and good for my mental health. And I wonder if like I'm going in, like I want to go in, in again to the office regularly because of that. I wonder if people they're so used to working from home and they've been very productive for working from home, but I wonder if they will realize if they realize what they may be missing by not coming to the office once in a while. Uh, there's going to be some of that like here, here at Microsoft, um, we gave everybody, they had to proactively declare, uh, but we gave everybody uh, the option, which is entirely work from home, uh, entirely, uh, basically you're given three choices. Work from home, uh, four choices. Work from home uh, entirely, work from office entirely, work from office greater than 50% or less than 50%. That that last option, work from office less than 50% is the least selected option because if you do that, uh, Microsoft is proactively informed that your desk then is at risk. Yeah, it's weird there. So I know you're yeah, in your own office. Is is most of Microsoft? It's it's a combination, right? Some buildings have their own offices. Some are split up. So us, like I've told them, I don't want a desk. Like if I go to the office, I'll be in meetings. I'll be visiting people. We have plenty of touchdown spaces. I don't need a desk. Right. So that's so touchdown spaces is what Microsoft is going to do to to sort of satisfy the people that are less than fifty percent. But it's change, and human beings by nature don't like change. What works for us is we were we kind of had that open seating before. So when I go in now, I reserve a desk. It's a different one every time. Every desk has two monitors on it with uh, cabling to plug into your computer. And I just do that. I bring my own keyboard and mouse in, and I sit down and I get to work. And I can do that anywhere, in any Unity office. And the other interesting thing is, is that we are... I know Seattle probably for sure and some other offices. I think Montreal is in this state where if everybody actually went back, 
we wouldn't have enough desks for them anyway. Right. Because we're not, <laughs> we, we've done a lot of hiring during the pandemic and not as much as we've, we've done building. I think. No, Microsoft had a big problem with that going into the pandemic. Yeah, not as much now. Probably have some extra chairs now. No, no, no. Um, so the issue is, is that we were growing rapidly and it was becoming a problem to try to figure out how, where we're going to put these people, right? It, it was a sort of a how, what, we couldn't build buildings fast enough. And so now everything's all changed. Like a whole bunch of people have come, a whole bunch of people have have left. There have been people who have, Spent their entire short career at Microsoft entirely in COVID. Yeah, we have, we have, right. I have, I could look at my team. I should sometime. A, a, a big chunk of my team has never seen an office. Well, some of them are starting to go. In fact, I have one employee started in April of 2020. His team in my org just had a little mini team get together in the office in San Francisco and he said, it's the first time since I joined the company two years ago, I feel like I'm part of a team. So there is that. All right. We we have talked and babbled and done some other stuff and we got to get going. <laughs> I am still not Ted Cruz because I'm Alan and I have a brain and, and Brent is Ted Cruz. With the brain. All right. Perfect. All right. We'll see awesome. you next time. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.